Hi, everyone. Yeah, I want to make sure to look at everybody. I always kind of forget to look at one corner. That always bothers me. <laughs> What's wrong with me, right? Um, <clears throat> well, great to see all of you. Uh, I think uh, I see some of the faces that are coming back uh, from your vacations or uh, holidays. And I do see some new faces. Uh, if you're new, uh, my name's Aiden. I'm a, the pastor of this church. Uh, really good to have you uh, today to worship with us. Uh, today, uh, it's going to be a little bit of uh, maybe special in terms of, uh, you know, sermon series. Um, I can give you a heads up that we will start studying uh, Book of Galatians starting uh, in two weeks. Next week, we're going to have a guest speaker because I'll be traveling to uh, the press fair meeting uh, this uh, coming week. Um, so we'll have uh, Patrick O'Banion uh, from Grace Covenant Church to preach for us. But after that, uh, I'll be um, consistent in terms of preaching week by week, uh, going through Book of Galatians. And my hope for that series is that we'll have a good foundation in terms of the gospel. So I'll talk more about that. Uh, today uh, is another attempt to have good foundation as a church. And in fact, I thought about how it's not just for our church, but also for many of us uh, who are, I mean, I think all of us are young, maybe except for me. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think we are, in a way, starting off in our journeys uh, with Christ uh, to, to many regards, I think. And Things like this, uh, for example, today we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. It'll have a good, powerful impact in your life as you learn about and have a solid foundation and knowledge of what this is. It'll help us. It'll help you as you, um, you know, start this journey with Christ. Um, so that's my hope. I'm excited for today and um, again, Galatians series two. But just know that that's what is behind um, these teachings uh, right now. So let's jump right in to today's passage, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Uh, read it for us, and I'll pray uh, just one more time um, quickly, and then we'll jump right in. Uh, but... Um, can turn there with me. You uh, can also look at the screen as well, obviously. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. This is God's word. But in the following instruction, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I, he- I hear that There are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. That is God's word. Uh, Let's pray just one more time, uh, just asking God to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, we are in need of you. We need your spirit. We need uh, your presence here. God, this is your word. Help me to simply deliver it and help us to heed your word. And uh, especially uh, the topic is on your Lord's Supper. God, give us good understanding. And may, your, may our hearts uh, be excited for what we will do as a church as we start the Lord's Supper in a more regular way. And may you, again, lay a good foundation for our church and for all of us individuals here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, three points as usual. Uh, those are the sins at the Lord's Supper and the blessings of the Lord's Supper, and the seriousness of the Lord's Supper. The title for the message is The Lord's Supper. First, the sins at the Lord's Supper. Verse 20 and 21, it says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry another gets drunk. You can hear right away in these two verses as well as the the entire passage that Paul is upset. He's not in a good mood right now with the church, uh, Church of Corinth. You know, something outrageous is going on in the church and that has to do with how they were conducting the Lord's Supper or communion. And this is what's happening according to what we see in the passage. You know, apparently, uh, back in the day, uh, they would have a full group meal together, like we would in maybe during Easter dinner. Uh, they would do that in between um, the two rites of the Lord's Supper, namely the bread, breaking of the bread, and then at the end, uh, the holding up the cup of the wine. So in between those two, they would eat meal together. And that's a good thing. That's a helpful practice because that way they could come together uh, as a church in celebration of the Lord's Supper. However, the problem was this. The problem was that uh, they were following the Roman custom at the time, which was uh, maybe the opposite of potluck. Uh, They were all bringing their own meal and they were not sharing And now that's still okay to some extent, but um, here's a problem. The the rich members of the church who could afford a good meal, they would bring a lot of food, really delicious food probably, and they would devour their food in front of the poor brothers and sisters. And they would not share with them what they were eating. I mean, just, just pretty cruel, right? Just think about it, right? And that's what they're doing. And the poor members at that time is probably a lot worse that we may see in our country right now. They're, they're destitute. And they could not afford to bring any food to the, to the meal. And the rich members are doing that to them. And as a result, um, you know, we see that this group, the rich group, would become full and even get drunk, uh, while the poor group uh, would 
you know, not only remain hungry, but also there's mental anguish of shame because they're being singled out as, you know, poor, having no money and power or any connection in the world. That was a problem. So now, let's see what Paul says. And you can feel the, the anger there. He goes, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Here is, he's clearly addressing the rich people because at that time, uh, the rich people are the ones who have houses to eat in. I mean, right now, it's kind of unthinkable, but back then, the poor people or even the mediocre people could not have a space and kitchen to have their own meals at home. Only the rich people could do that. And Paul is saying, just go home. Why are you shaming the church by doing what you're doing? Just go home. Stay at home. Uh, because you're dishonoring people that God made in his image and also people who he brought to the church through the blood of Christ. You are dishonoring and disrespecting God by uh, dissing these people. Uh, You see, what's happening is this. The rich members of the church are being incredibly prideful and selfish and insecure too. I'll explain what I mean by that. You know, outside the church, these are the people who got it all. You know, they are of a separate class. So they're used to eating meals by themselves. They get perhaps, I don't know, in, in our standard caviar and, you know, sushi all the time and all these things at their command. And okay, that's fine. Having money is not a, not a sin, but the problem is they were importing that secular idea of separation between the rich and the poor into the church. And, and out of selfishness and insecurity, meaning for these people, their status is all they got, right? If, they, if you take away their status, they're, they're, they're nobodies. They know that in, deep inside. So they have to hold on to their status. They have to draw this line between them and the poor people in the church so that they all feel significant. Pitiful, but that's who they were. And that's what's happening. Again, the poor people were being humiliated for their poverty by their own brothers and sisters. Uh, for the next slide, I don't know if you know, I probably know uh, this movie called Parasite. It's a very uh, acclaimed movie, winning lots of uh, you know, awards. And for me, I watched this movie with my wife, and it was really depressing you know, because uh, this movie didn't have any redemption at the end. Uh, it's a very sad story of the rich people and the poor people having a very clear line to the point that if you go to the next slide, uh, it's this very good, masterful cinematography where uh, there's always a line. Uh, in this picture, like a window, you know, border or sill or any furniture can be used as a line in this movie, throughout the movie, to show the line between rich and the poor in this movie. And the rich people are like, they're in an island. You know, they don't want to go outside of their you know, line and they want other people, you know, the poor people not to cross the line. Uh, and they live sheltered lives and they want to keep it that way uh, for their fragile ego while the poor, you know, suffer in a variety of ways, in many different ways. And that's essentially what's happening in Corinth. The rich people of the church you know, they, you know, drew this line between them and the poor brothers and sisters, and they demand that the line be kept. And they want the respect from the rest. And they do that at the cost of uh, the poor people feeling ashamed and, you know, even depressed, perhaps, by what was happening. Before we go on from this point, uh, I want to say that you know we must not think that this is only this is a unique problem to only Corinth. 
Because any church is vulnerable to this type of problem. It may not always be the divide between the the rich and the poor, but I would argue that people, because we are, to be honest, all fragile in our ego, we have to have those drawn lines and unique groups that we belong to uh, to protect ourselves. We might be tempted to surround ourselves with people who are like us within the church, you know, in terms of maybe personality, interests, you know, life stage and things like that. And to be sure, you know, those are not bad things. You know, those groups are needed. But if we find ourselves unable to go beyond those groups that we belong to in order to serve the needs of the general church, then that group may become a selfish tool to preserve ourselves, and even to despise the church of God. So as a church, as we you know, get established, as we grow, we have, to be, uh, we have to be aware of this phenomenon. Now the question might be, you know, how shall we fight these tendencies? And Paul will simply present the gospel in the next two points. And uh, particularly, the Lord's Supper will be the vehicle for that fight. So second point, the blessings of the Lord's Supper. Verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. Uh, Notice, This might be a familiar line for some of us, maybe, if you grew up in church. But notice that the Lord's Supper traces its origin from what or who? The Lord himself. They were about to see that the Lord's Supper, the the communion, is not a just a, you know, made-up ritual. It is direct command from the Lord Jesus to his church, to his followers, so it's not an optional thing if you're a believer in Christ. Now also notice another detail is uh, this originates from a historical event. It's not just a, again, made-up thing. There's a concrete uh, example and purpose from the night that he was betrayed when he broke bread, the Last Supper, right? That's where we got this from. It's not an arbitrary thing. With that in mind, let's go on. Please follow with me. Verse 24, it says, When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. To me, very simple. Meaning that when we eat the bread during the Lord's Supper, during the communion, you know, we're remembering his body that was broken and was even killed for our salvation. And verse 25 In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You know, when we drink the liquid from grapes, whether it's, you know, wine or grape juice, you know, we're remembering his blood that was poured out, gushed out on the cross in order to include us in the covenant in the new covenant, rather. And being the new covenant, of course, means that we are now in the right relationship with God. Because Jesus has died for us, atoned for our past, present, and future sins, all in entirety. So we are included. We are now stand before God righteous, covered with Christ's righteousness. We're no longer enemies or orphans of God. We're now his redeemed, adopted children. That's what part of what being in covenant means. That's what he accomplished through his blood, and that's what it signifies when we hold up the cup. In verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
You know, meaning whenever we participate as often as we participate in this uh, ordinance, Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming, meaning we're illustrating and also preaching to ourselves through this, through this visual aid, Christ's sacrificial death for us. And here's what this means, and this is a glorious part, that the Lord's Supper has tremendous benefits, I would argue essential, necessary benefits for Christian lives. Without this sacrament, we may not grow, maybe at all, not even as much. Because this sacrament uh, has two aspects. One, those are sign and seal. Uh, This is a sign in that it visualizes the, the invisible reality, you know, namely salvation and Christ's death. So, so we can now see it instead of just hearing or read, read about it. But it's also a seal, meaning it's like a stamp, you know, seal on a document in that, you know, this sacrament confirms for us God's glorious promises uh, for us through Christ. It's like this, you know, because we're physically eating bread and drinking grape juice, we're actually tasting something, right? And as real as that taste is, so are God's promises. You see? Our senses are powerful. It it testifies to us that God's promises are not just, you know, mental exercise. Those are real things. And therefore, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we grow. We grow because of participating in this God-ordained practice. And again, conversely put, this means the lack of the Lord's Supper in a believer's life will inevitably impoverish them, and their faith will inevitably be diminished. There's no doubt about that. And let me illustrate this uh, uh, sacrament in this way. I think that might be a little easier to understand what this is for. Uh, Another way to look at the Lord's Supper is to have a meal with Jesus. To have a meal with Jesus. Let's go to Revelation 3.20. It says, Jesus saying to his church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock on your heart. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him or her and eat with him or her and he or she with me. Jesus is inviting us to his meal and that's what this is for. But think about it. I mean, you know, having a meal with somebody, it it does something, right? Just imagine you're having a meal, uh, you know, with somebody every single week. I had a a brother like that when I was back in Chicago. We're just doing that for our accountability uh, purposes, but that does something to you. Uh, you know, when you meet with a person like that, you know, regularly over a meal, what's going to happen is the relationship will grow because you get to know that person and also you get to build trust for that person, right? Because you're constantly seeing him and hearing about, hearing from him and his words and his life. But not only that, because you're eating something, there's joy too. <laughs> you know, it's never fun to just talk over water. It's, it's, it's good when your tummy is happy too. Meal is good, but that's what it does. Uh, I have a pastor friend. Let me just kind of illustrate a little further here. I have a pastor friend uh, who lives a few hours uh, away from here. And... Uh, when we met first time, uh, to be really honest, he looked pretty intimidating. You know, he uh, was a little cold, and uh, he had this persona of maybe, uh, I don't know, truth seeker? Just very, like, principle-oriented person, so that he doesn't have much emotion when he talks, and he does, even sounds a little angry because he's all about the truth, Right? So when I first met him, I was like, okay, a little, you know, uncomfortable here, to be really honest. 
Uh, but then, you know, we connected and, you know, my family and I got to visit, you know, his town and, uh, you know, I, I told him that I was gonna be there for his, you know, church, but then he's like, oh, just come over, you know, you and your wife and your children. So we came over. Um, again, on the way there, I was like, you know, my first impression, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, God can redeem anything, you know, so, you know, I'm sure we can, you know, hit up a good conversation or whatever. But I was a little worried, to be really honest with you, right? But then once we went into the, the house and, you know, sat down and started eating the meal that they cook, cooked, which was, uh, still remember, pot roast, slow-cooked pot roast with Italian seasoning or whatever it's called, and then salad. It was so good. It was really, really good. They, they said they got the meat from the, you know, the local butcher shop, and it was so good. It's little details there, but it was so good. Uh, but even better than that, um, we started talking about just raw things, and he started sharing about his life and, um, you know, just a lot of personal things. And, and then there was a point where he smiled. And I was like, I kid you not, I didn't say this, but I was like, oh, he's a human. (laughs) He's smiling. Whoa, warm smile. Where did that come from? So he kept talking, and um, it was just a great, great time. They're so hospitable, and Deb and I and our family had a great time. And as time went by, you know, we kept, you know, corresponding to one another, and we're really good friends now, I would say. Whenever I have any questions or, you know, any encouragement, I, I talk to him. And uh, it's so good. I love our friendship right now, and I love to uh, grow deeper with them in our friendship. Uh, but see, you see, that's, that's what happens when you have a meal with somebody, especially when you do that regularly. Uh, you know, when you have the, uh, in this case, the Lord's Supper, and that's a meal with Jesus, you see, where uh, although Jesus is physically in heaven right now, right? That's the fact. But he comes down spiritually to the Holy Spirit. And he's here with us, especially when we are having a Lord's Supper, because that's his promise. Such as in Matthew 18, it says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. He's here. There's more than two or three here. But especially when we have the Lord's Supper, He's here, and he's having a meal with us across the table, so to speak. And, and though the bread and grape juice you know, do not change in their substance, you know, they remain as what they are, but through our action of participating, Jesus feeds just tremendous spiritual food uh, and feed our soul so we can experience satisfaction that we can never experience from physical food. And because these, these, these uh, spiritual foods nourish us, especially through the, the knowledge of the blessings and promises that are available through Christ, you know, we are encouraged, and we get to know Jesus as a person. Again, that's meal, right? Get to know them, get to know him as a person, and we have to trust him more. Just like any other relationship, and there's Again, joy, because we're full now in our spirit, not just our stomach. That is the Lord's Supper. It's an essential thing for our spiritual lives. And I believe Paul is bringing this up in the context of the Corinthian church because in his mind, the reason why these guys are doing these things to their own poor brothers and sisters is that they don't get what the Lord's Supper means. And they never really encounter Jesus. They're right now using the Lord's Supper as a platform to showcase themselves and their own status. Foolish. Because they haven't understood what this is really is. So Paul is saying, hey, if you guys really know what this is and really experience it with the right heart, you would not have done that to your Poor brethrens. And they would have changed in their hearts and they would have grown in their maturity. 
And my argument, right, my point is that's what will happen to our church too as we know what this is and prepare it with the right attitude. We will grow because Jesus will be feeding us across the table. He will. So the blessings of the Lord's Supper. Now lastly, the seriousness of the Lord's Supper. So let's see what the last portion about uh, this passage and also the Lord's Supper is. So follow with me. Verse 27, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Hmm. This is a serious saying. It's basically saying that those who participate in the Lord's Supper with a wrong attitude and are like the Corinthians will be responsible for the very death of Jesus Christ. What that means is that they will be counted the same as those who deliver Jesus to the cross to die. Like Judas, like the Pharisees. And specifically, again, in this context, in the Corinthian church, the rich members of the, the church you know, are treating the Lord's Supper um, you know, as their own platform. And by that, they're you know, seriously disrespecting God, right? His own son dying, and they're just doing their own thing. How could they? And God takes it very seriously. And God is treating them as if they are Judas, as if they are the enemies of the cross. So Paul is saying, you know, any attitude, any sin in our hearts that, that are not uh, examined, that will cause this kind of judgment from God. Because it's a serious deal. This is the very um, body and blood of his own son that is being shown through the Lord's Supper. We go on. Keep reading here. Verse 28 and 29, it says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Again, reinforcing the same idea of, if you don't take it seriously, there will be consequence. And therefore, what you are to do or to examine your own hearts. Is there any sins like the Corinthians, sins of pride, sins of lack of love, sins of anything, any sins in our hearts? Examine them. Otherwise, there will be these consequences, and Paul spells that out, and that's even scarier. <laughs> Verse 30, he says, that's why, as a judgment, that's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Because they disrespected Jesus by not examining their hearts, but again, using that moment for themselves, some of them got ill, some even died. And you might think that, okay, I mean, that's a big threat there, but that's kind of perhaps the biblical time, right? There must be an explanation for this. You know, that's that's unique thing for that time only, right? Um, I don't think so. I read different commentaries, and it, this is a real threat. And interestingly, I had a conversation with uh, one person in our church, uh, in, even in this room right now, uh, that he told me uh, as a part of his testimony that um, you know, he uh, took communion uh, when he was a lot younger and he was not a believer. He didn't know uh, anything about the Lord's Supper and he participated in it. And then next thing you know, he was having a, the shortness of breath. And so he went to doctors and they couldn't tell why he was having that. And Later, because of the experience and other 
factors, you know, he um, you know, was led to the faith and became Christian and got baptized. Uh, and my goal here right now is not to, you know, threaten us, but just kind of give you an idea of this is a real warning from the scripture. And, and we must take it this seriously. I don't think God would give us empty threats. He is giving us real and yet gentle warning here so that we will do the, the, right, the right thing by treating the Lord's Supper in the right way, not with a clumsiness or even with contempt. Well, maybe at this point, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, if that's the consequence that can come from you know, participating in the Lord's Supper, maybe I'll skip it. <laughs> There's a lot of consequence there. First of all, I want to tell you, uh, as your pastor, that truth is, like I said earlier, the Lord's Supper is a command directly from the Lord to the believers in Christ so that I believe there may be consequences to neglecting the sacrament. You know, at least, you know, your faith will not grow as much. We talked about that, but there might be other consequences. But with that, hear this. Verse 32. Paul says, But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along the world. It's a very important verse here. So please pay attention. What he's saying is that there's assurance for believers. He's saying that any judgment, if you're a believer in Christ, any judgment in your life as a, as a result of your sin and failures, those are never eternal punishment. Those are never permanent condition or penalty that you can never get out of. Because those who are in Christ, having cover in Christ, they will be bound for heaven. You cannot lose your salvation by failures or missteps along the way. So that if there's anything happens as a consequence of your disobedience, it's because God loves you. He's pursuing after you. He's waking you up by giving you some nudge, however severe that might be. Because he's our father. Because he's our parent. And there the word discipline uh, in Greek has a paidon word in it, meaning, you know, like pediatrics, the, the word uh, kid in it meaning God is treating us as his children, not as an enemy to punish permanently. That's huge. That's huge. Meaning, of course, we can never be perfect. That's, that's not what, what Paul or God is expecting before we go to the Lord's Supper. It's not the moral perfection that God is asking for. What he's asking for is the direction of our hearts that is repentant, and even when we fail, even when we have hidden sins, especially, God will nudge us, not to destroy us, but to help us see that there's something blocking the relationship from flourishing between us and God. When you know that, when you have assurance of that, you can come to the table. You can come to the Lord's Supper expecting to be forgiven, expecting to uh, be blessed by the meal with Jesus. He will feed us with his love, his assurance, his promises. It will cover all our iniquities and failures. And we will be made whole. And that's the, the encouragement here. There's a, there's a fine balance there. Do not be afraid to come, but at the same time, do not disrespect you know, God's Son by not repenting, not examining yourself. Come with the right attitude. 
God will bless you. So we will have the Lord's Supper. Uh, not today. Um, we, the session, the elders, uh, scheduled our next Lord's Supper to be March 19th. It's plenty of time for us to really, again, understand, revisit the concept and process our hearts and minds. But also, um, there's another reason why it's further ahead. Um, you know, we will have a sign-up sheet for uh, the next uh, communion or for every communion that we'll have in our church. And uh, we'll put that up today uh, in the newsletter and then in other mediums too. Uh, and if you're a follower of Christ, and we'll have this uh, form up at least for next two weeks, and please sign up if you'd like to participate on the March 19th. Um, and on the sign-up form, you will see that um, th- that you'll be asked to indicate uh, dates, times uh, for interviews. And once you submit that, um, we, you know, we'll reach out to you and we'll schedule an interview with the elders uh, based on your availability. And let me give you two reasons why we have this process in our church and also in the PCA. Two reasons. One. Uh, there are two verses here in the next slide. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, it says about elders, they are keeping watch over your souls uh, as those who will have to give an account. So God gave us this calling and role to take care of the church, and we'll have to answer God for how well we did that in the end. And the next verse it says, Acts 20, 20, 28, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in the church in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, which is another word for elders, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You can see right away there how serious God is treating the church there. So I'm, I'm saying from these uh, verses that it is our job as elders uh, from from God Himself to protect and to care for the well-being of our people. That's our job, and therefore, when we read in this passage that there may be judgment on people because they have not discerned, um, you know, their hearts then it's our job to make sure that, you know, you're ready. It's not a process to, you know, pass or fail you, but to make sure that you're going to be okay, to protect, to, to love you well in that way. And another purpose, obviously, is that as elders, uh, it is our job to keep the table as pure and sacred as possible as worship to God. And that's what we will do in our church. And with that, I also want to give you a detail about the form too. Uh, just one more thing is if you're currently official members of the uh, CLC, uh, you uh, do not have to sign up for interviews because you've already been interviewed by the session um, and also learned about and instructed about the Lord's Supper as a part of the membership process. Uh, so you don't have to do that. You can participate um, uh, at the next Lord's Supper. So that's the process. I know there's a little logistics there, but I really wanted to put that out there to you right now as I, at, right after I preached about the Lord's Supper. I really hope and pray that you pray and that you're eager to participate if you're in Christ. And, and, and to anticipate the blessings that will come and also the joy as a church that we get, we get to do this finally uh, after a long hiatus. Um, and also, I pray that you prepare your hearts if you uh, heeded this word from the Lord. And I'm excited as your pastor. I'm really excited for this opportunity, this process, and I hope you also 
are excited too. Let's pray together. Spend some time together uh, in prayer. I think it would be really great and even necessary for us to process what we just heard. And in fact, we'll be studying this passage in our life groups uh, this week and next week. And um, it would be great for us to really understand what the Bible is saying on this subject. Uh, and that's my hope for us, that we are really informed, that we know what we're doing as a church to honor God. to worship Him. So right now, uh, if I can ask you to pray, to, to ask God uh, to uh, you know, give you understanding and peace uh, for the next uh, hours and days and weeks as you uh, anticipate our next Lord's Supper. And I think as you do that, you can also pray that God will assure your hearts Assure your hearts of, your, of His love for you. Because to me, God's love is all over in this passage. If He didn't love us, He would not have warned us. If He didn't love us, He would not um, have wasted ink about this you know, sacrament in multiple places of the New Testament. He really wants to bless us and my hope is that as you pray right now that God will work in your hearts because like we saw earlier Jesus is here because the promise is that when there are two or three people are gathered in his name he is here with us may he meet you here and then we'll respond with the song uh, further but let's pray for now in silence and plead with God Let's pray together. Just two thoughts uh, I want to share uh, with you before we go into some prayer time uh, is first, I think the existence of the Lord's Supper uh, is God's uh, announcing to us that um, we can always come back to God, uh, that we can always meet with Him. across the table finding forgiveness Um, otherwise there would be no table it doesn't matter how far we have been we can always come back to the table and find grace Um, as long as our hearts are in the right place of repentance um, like we said but the infinite grace is available at the table we can always come back no matter how far you've fallen you can always come back another thought is um, perhaps this aspect of you know God's judgment is very much so necessary to to us to many of us Um, I think for various reasons I think the fear of God Uh, has diminished in our land um, in our generation I think that's what I've noticed uh, at least from where I stand and the, the biggest symptom of losing fear of God is cheap grace I think that's what happened to the Corinthians right if you don't fear God everything is forgivable it's all about your 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 love is all about you you know why would why would God do anything Um, but to me that's sad life because why would you want to serve God and live for a God who you don't really fear that's not a God that's that's your own creation but I think as God restores in our hearts whether it's through this passage or as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper in March, God may be restoring in our hearts the healthy fear of God, that that we do not mess with God. You don't want to go there. 
that He's a God who deserves all of our worship from the every fiber of our being. And if He says go, everything goes. He's that sovereign. So can we pray right now? Is in light of what we heard uh, from the Word and this, this few thoughts that I just share with you guys. That God loves you, and God also uh, wants us to grow in seeing you in the right way, even fearing you. Can we do that? Just pray for a moment, and I'll close for us. The benediction. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you, uh, though the table is not here today, but uh, we know that you're here, and you're here to welcome us back. Uh, God, we come before you confessing all of our sins. Uh, There's nothing to hide because you see it all. Uh, God, we've been away from you. We've been seeking after our own pleasures and our own goals. We have been the captains of our ships. God, We acknowledge here uh, by the light of your word that you are God and we are not. Only you must be worshipped in this place, in my life, in our lives, God. Forgive us for our pride, for all the fleshly desires that we have in our lives. And thank you for the promise of restoration and grace. Available at the table as well as now. Lord, I want to lift up those of us who may have felt far from you for whatever reason. May you restore their hearts in particular uh, through this time and as they prepare for the the communion. Um, May they get to experience your goodness in their lives once more. And as a church, God, help us to grow as a church that honors you and fears you and tell the world that you reign in this place. 